knew I wanted to be intelligent and intellectual. Other people had an answer that I didn't have. I sound like an old man when I talk about the internet, but I am actually worried about what it's doing to our brains and our sense of connection. Having all these different viewpoints on the world. Because I do believe conspiracy is the religion of the 21st century. Here we are, the rundown. It's back once again. So as always, I am your host, Sam Sakamoto. I know it's been a while, and I hope that if you're listening to this, that you've been healthy and have been doing okay during this time of plague in the world. Um, But I have quite the update for you guys. Uh, The rundown is going through some changes, and I'm stoked to announce that my friends Sophia and Alex are now the co-hosts here on the show. Um, They've been promoted. Sophia I met at a coffee shop that I worked at, and then I met Alex, her brother, through her, um, obviously. And they're lovely people, and I'm happy that they're joining me here on the show. Um, So today we're going to do a little bit of catching up, you know, talking about the COVID times, the lovely COVID times, and how it's affected us, and what we're doing to carry on during these times, and keep the mental health stable to a certain extent. Um, and then we're talking about the 1988 anime called Grave of the Fireflies, which is very depressing, and yes, we hate ourselves, you know, watching this movie, but it's a bit of a throwback. Um, the film is worth rewatching, though, in my opinion, during the COVID times, specifically because despite the nightmarish war setting that it takes place in, that um, the two children find themselves in, the film really showcases the beauty and the power of relationships during such a time and I think that's really applicable to a situation the situation that we found ourselves in now Um, and also spoiler alert if you have not seen the movie please watch it before listening to this because we're gonna be talking spoilers in the movie so uh, yeah it was a great conversation so here it is Okay, so let's do the lightning round of questions. Sure. So, um, number one, what is the craziest dream that you've had recently? Alex, you go first. Oh, no. Um, I'm sorry. Like, I know that I've had a couple recently, but I have this problem where I don't remember them, like, a week after. But, like, the, yeah. the, emotion, I... the emotion tends to stay with me. Go ahead. I'll try to think. Yeah. I have a vague memory of a dream that I had, like, a couple weeks ago. But any of the dreams that I remember are always, like, nightmares. And uh, what's the dream that I had was about a person who shall remain nameless. Okay. <laughs> and this person is in my normal life. And in the dream, they had, like, followed me somewhere. And they were like, you need to talk to me. And I was like, no, I told you I wanted to be left alone. <laughs> and they were like, you need to talk. And I, it was a whole thing. Were you and being cornered like, in the dream, or were you just, like, in an open I think I ran into them somewhere situation. in the dream. But they were, like, they were just, like, really, like, hmm. you gotta talk to me. And I was, like, no, I told you I wasn't gonna talk to you. Well. But yeah, that was, I think, the craziest dream I've had most recently. Mm. I wish I had more detail. But, again, I do have a lot of, you lose, you lose memory on dreams. It's I remember science. a few of your dreams that you've told me. <laughs> I've had some crazy dreams, like, in the past, if we just want to get into those. Oh, which ones are you thinking about? 
I was thinking of the, wait, I think I was thinking of the one, um, where, like, you, like, couldn't, where I woke up strangling myself. Jesus yeah, yeah. Fucking. <laughs> you told me about this. Yeah. So one time I had a dream, and I like in the dream, again, it was supposed to be a person in my real life. And in the dream, they were trying to take away my dog and our little sister, and I they like started strangling me and then I woke up and I literally was strangling myself for about five seconds before I could let it go and I like I was like freaking out because I woke up and I could not breathe (laughs) (laughs) was this the same person that was from the dream we were talking about different person both bad people okay they suck (laughs) damn I I have I don't think I can really hold a candle to choking myself in my sleep. That's 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 not something I've ever done. I mean, one time I had a dream that there was like bugs crawling <laughs> towards me. It was like a lucid dream oh, of I like I was a lucid dream, and there was I was I had sleep paralysis. I was paralyzed in my bed, and there was caterpillars coming towards me, and like roaches, and I couldn't move, and I was just screaming. I'm surprised you couldn't hear me screaming, but the thing was I couldn't open my mouth. Because again, sleep paralysis, so I literally couldn't even open my mouth, so I was closed mouth screaming like I was being murdered. Wow. Yeah. Um. Well, I can do mine on a lighter note. Go ahead. Yeah, please. So last night I dreamt that I was in REM, and (laughs) (laughs) like I was the singer. Like, so Michael Stipe, who's the main guy, like he was taking the night off where he was injured or something. (laughs) And so I was on stage... And my moves were on fire. Like, I was, like, great at being, like, a front woman, just, like, manning the stage, you know, taming the crowd. But um, my singing was not on par with his. And I remember Peter Buck, who is the guitarist of R.E.M., he was angry with me because my (laughs) singing was so shitty. But I was having a really fun time, and then I woke up. That's that's an awesome dream. I think I've had... A dream that cool before. I mean, most of my dreams are like, like horror thriller style scenarios. Oh, like Michael Bay. Like no, like uh, like <laughs> the thing, or like Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Okay. Um, you're trapped somewhere, and uh, there's very limited trust among like the people that are in your in your close knit circle of survivors. And there's, like, violence, and uh, sometimes, like, my family members are involved, and I see them die. So it's, like, yeah. <laughs> I have those, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, like, most, co- like, most, like, most common what happens in my dreams, in my nightmares. Like, the yeah. crazy ones. So. I would say it's always a different, it's always a gamble with me. Yeah. 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 I feel like I've had some cool dreams, though. I had a dream that me and my friends were in the Bahamas. My friends from middle oh. school. And we were wearing, like, these really cool puffer jackets, but it was, like... That's <laughs> <laughs> hot there. It was, like, the most... Okay, the reason why I love this dream so much is because in the dream, I just remember, like, the feeling of being at the beach and it being, like, crystal clear and beautiful. It's, like, I can still feel it to this day. Like, I've never been to the Bahamas, never mm-hmm. been to a beach that pretty, but, like, I can feel that because my, I don't know, my dreams made it so real. feels so real now. I just want a puffer jacket. I'm glad you had that experience. <laughs> Makes up for strangling myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, number two. Okay. 
what fruit to you <laughs> is the most satisfying to throw at a wall? Oh, I thought this was going to go a different direction since we've had conversations. We had lots passion of conversations fruit. about fruit. What? <laughs> because they have, like, when you open up a passion fruit, it has, like, a bunch of, like, yellow seeds that splatter everywhere. And it's, like, it, it's, like, kind of filled with air. So I feel like if you get enough, like, throw onto it, you get, like, a nice splat. Hmm. Okay. So instead of, like, an egging, you could do a passion fruiting. Mm-hmm. I mean... It's a crime of passion. <laughs> By, I mean, by that metric, what's the stinky one? The stinky fruit? Was uh, it, was that durian? Durian fruit? Oh, you just oh. kill someone with that. Yeah, well, I mean, It's like corn in three pounds. Well, there you go. Durian <laughs> fruit is great. Oh, that's the one, like, like people, like, have to, like, drop from really tall trees, and then you have to grab it with, the like, the, the bag. Have you seen the gifts of people no. doing that shit? Mm-mm. It's like how people harvest it. Like, they're, they're, they're in, like, really tall trees, and they have to throw it down. And then the person that catches it has a large, like, really thick burlap sack, and they have to, like, whip it so that the the uh, the forces of gravity are, like, counteracted by the whipping of the bag. And then they kind of, you just catch it like that, and it doesn't really, I mean, if, you, if you're experienced enough, you can just catch it easily. The gifts are really cool. You should look it up. Someone catching it. I'm going to look it up now. Yeah. But I was going to say, it's probably the best thing to throw at a wall, because if you're trying to, like, egg someone's house with fruit... Um, why not leave them with a little smelly surprise? That's why true. Not, you know, <laughs> completely destroy their property. That's That's true. Break a few windows. Kill a couple dogs. <laughs> unfortunately, cat, you know, it's just all yeah. Well, you don't want any casualties. No, no casualties, especially not. Dogs. Maybe a window. Maybe a window. Maybe a a, a Trump flag or or five. That'd oh yeah. Yeah. Um. You just set those on fire. I think mine, I've actually done this. I wasn't throwing it at a wall, but like somebody that I was angry at, I went to their cul-de-sac and I threw a watermelon on their cul-de-sac and it exploded everywhere. That's pretty satisfying. And they had to clean it up or (laughs) one of the neighbors, I guess. (laughs) Um, Okay, number three. What is a deep cut song by one of your favorite bands that you want the world to know about? Like hmm. something that just like cuts real deep and like no, just like a a lesser known song. Hidden gem. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I can do this one. There's a. It's not actually that deep a cut because it's Radiohead, obviously. Uh, so pretty much. All I knew you it. were gonna go radio. <laughs> yeah, of course, because I I've listened to every song pretty much that they've ever made. Um, but like they have a song called Idiotech, which is on Kid A. Um, but I think probably the, my favorite version of that song is actually a cover that was done by this like random uh, three-piece um, that mm. just made a YouTube video where they make, they like do the beat with like a typewriter and um, there's like a, uh, they, they use like a xylophone and like a bunch of like a couple other like random odds and ends and they sing and they harmonize really well it's really fucking beautiful um it has only like fifty thousand views on youtube so if anybody listens to this and is like inspired to go watch it um i think it's i don't know i'll tell sam to like link, <laughs> I, link to it in the description oh yeah I'll, I'll talk about it in the intro yeah for sure it's it's fucking awesome and okay. it's de- it definitely deserves more fans so cool yeah. i'll have to check it out yeah. um i'm still thinking yeah, this is a hard question for me because I am bad at song names, mm. and so as soon you can as just you, sing it. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, well, right now I have an MF Doom song stuck in my head. <laughs> can you, like, can you, like, kind of... Oh, you're... So, like, the MF Doom song is, like, overcrowding your brain. And you yes. Can't, you can't I can't... I can't hear other songs mm-hmm. right now. I'm only hearing <laughs> MF Doom. You got MF Doom on the brain. Let me look at my Spotify, I'm too. looking at my Spotify right now. You know now. what, like, genre it was? I don't know how many people know about this song, but there is a very specific on a Earl Sweatshirt... Um, I can't remember which album it is, but the song's called Riot, exclamation point, and it's just an interlude, and it's really fucking good. It is the, like, it is my favorite two minutes of song for some reason, like, it is so good. Hmm. Is it, like, kind of protesty, rioty? No, it's, it's just, <clears throat> it's just, like, a jazz music-y song. Oh. Um... He's good. Yeah, it's just like like good vibes. Like, it's like a good vibe song. Like, it's just, uh, it's nice music. I like it. I think, yeah, I think the most, like, hidden songs, like, the most, like, 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 the ones that have the potential to be, like, the best for how, how little, how little they're known are, like, the little interludes and the, the openers and the, like, um, like, Blood on, um, uh, Kendrick's last. That's so well done, though. I know, but like, I my point is that. like, like I know nothing about rap. My so. point is like, <laughs> like everyone from everyone that's like listened to that album, I guess, probably doesn't play that song, but it's like fantastic. Um, it's just like thirty seconds of music, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a like, beautiful mm-hmm. instrumental, you know. Yeah. Or like on um, Kid A again from Radiohead. After Optimistic finishes that track Optimistic finishes, there's a there's a little outro on that song mm-hmm. that's, like, a little, like, kind of, like, yeah, jazzy beat that plays for, like, another, like, you know, 10, 15 seconds after the, the main song is over. It's completely different, mm-hmm. completely out of place. It doesn't merge into the next song at all, and it's just awesome, I mm. think. So that's a deep cut in and of itself. guess I'll have to go back and listen to Kid A. Yeah. I don't, like, Kid A and OK Computer are, like, lower on my list for Radiohead. Fair enough. Like, at The Benz, number one, mm. number two, Pablo Honey. I disagree strongly with that. With that uh, choice, but number three, I, I guess OK Computer can be number three. I like a lot of the songs in there. Yeah. But yeah. there are some songs, like, like Fitter Happier, that I'm just like, I don't want to listen mm-hmm. to that. Um, let's see. A deep cut song that I want the world to know about. Um by REM, there's a, <laughs> there's a song called Country Feedback, um, and it, it's it's really good, um, and I like the way that it was recorded, because he basically, they, so they give him the music first, and then he just writes around it, and he just came to the studio and didn't even write the lyrics, just like, it just came out of him, hmm. and he had like a few words, like jotted down, mm-hmm. um, but it was just like a very, like, um, raw and like um just very like instinctual kind of like recording so i like that's really sick yeah again i just have to include this because it's another radiohead piece of trivia that's like semi-related which is that i'm not a radiohead podcast (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i'm making the first 10 minutes of this do you like radiohead sophia uh like kind of i feel like indifferent towards radiohead really okay whatever fine hear that but um (laughs) I, I think, like, one of, like, so that reminded me of this one anecdote about how Tom York wrote Idiotech, the song that I mentioned the cover of earlier. Um, basically, he, like, he didn't pioneer it. It was something that he pulled from David Bowie and did something similar, mm-hmm. where he, like, um, threw a bunch of uh, phrases into a hat, um, phrases that he wanted to make a song about, 
Hmm. And then he just pulled the phrases out. And in the order that he pulled them out, that's how the song went. Oh, So he had written all the cool. phrases uh, first and then threw them into a hat, pulled them out, and then that was the order that he performed the song in. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. So. Did you know that Tom York and Michael Stipe from R.E.M. are best friends? That's awesome. Yeah. I actually love that for them. I know. I, it's I, so nice. I, I, I've been keeping up with Tom because like he just got married recently. Oh, he did? Um, yeah. Does he yeah. still have long hair? Um, yeah, he looks a little, he looks a little hobo-y. I hate that. I um, mean... The yeah. ponytail that he had. Yeah, he's a little bad. unkempt, but I, I love him, you know? Uh, I can't, like, he's, like, his beard is all patchy, like, not patchy, but it's just, like, gray and black. And I know, like, but just cut the hair, Tom York, yeah, cut he's it. Little, yeah, it's a little, it's a little aggressively, uh, like, messy. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, he just got married recently. Uh, his ex-wife died of cancer. Sadly, right after um, right after uh, the last Radiohead album came out in like 2016, 2017. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm just really happy for him. You know, we're uh, happy for you, Tom York. We're happy for you, Tom York. Here, 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 here. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but sure. You don't know who Tom him. York is? Oh my God, Sophia. Is that the guy from Radiohead? I yes. feel like this is going to be the dynamic. I, I feel like Sophia is going to be like <laughs> not in the know about these older folks that we're talking about. Meemaw, Peepaw, who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> so she's going to call us fucking boomers. Because there's a couple years younger than us. Okay, well, it was a great lightning round of questions. Oh. <laughs> um, so the rundown hasn't been happening since, I think, February of this year. It's been a solid, like, 11 months at least. Um, did you so get the Oscars? We did the Oscars, I, th- I think. I don't yeah. remember. I don't remember, um, but we need to catch the listeners up because they don't know how things have been going. <laughs> Obviously, you guys, Alex and Sophia, are the co-hosts now, um, but we want to tell the people how we've been doing during these COVID times. It's been bad, <laughs> but we they need to know. <laughs> they need the transparency. Okay. Well, uh, I guess, do you want to go first? Um, I mean, overall, <laughs> I would say it's, I mean, like... At what capacity are we talking about this? I mean, like, just how, ha- I don't know, just how have you, how have you felt about the COVID times? I don't know. I mean, obviously bad, I think, but like, like. Now, okay, my note about the COVID times is that time is like incredibly weird now. Like, before, I used to just like, time in, in COVID just feels so, like, it feels very discontinuous at some points because it feels like. Anytime something happens, it gets lumped over to, like, one side that simultaneously feels like yesterday and also years away. And yeah. then the present moment feels eternal and awful. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's how I've been doing in the COVID times. I think uh, overall, I think I've gotten tested, like, six times now. Quarantined multiple times at this point. It's been a fun time. It's amusing to get tested, though. I kind of every like sitting I in line. Every time I need to sneeze. Yeah, me too. I need to sneeze every time they do it. I'm glad I haven't. I've never, thankfully, not had to have the one where it goes all the way up your nose. That should. I've like done those sucks. twice. It really is not that bad. Really. I did it myself. I I, pr- okay. Honestly, I like self-administering COVID tests. I would much rather do the self. Oh yeah, I always self-insert. Yeah. Because then, like, then any of the other, like, having someone test me 
Because I did that once and I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, the one that I did was like a drive-thru and Mm -hmm. you, they just kind of, um, they like pick up one of the tests with like a claw situation and then they just (laughs) hand it to you through the window. That's awesome. And then you do it by yourself, but I sneeze every time. I think it's, I mean, yeah, time is definitely warped in a strange way. Like, what was happening a year ago? A year ago was the beginning of COVID. Yeah. Um, what are some of, like, your favorite pieces of art slash media that you've, like, gotten into? Because <laughs> there's been, like, there hasn't been, like, a lot of, like, good stuff that's come out. Like, film-wise, of course, mm-hmm. and, like, mm-hmm. I mean, just most things art-wise, but... I think it's given a lot of people time to kind of um, get into things that they didn't have time for. So, mm-hmm. like, I read Infinite Jest, for example, and that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recommend it. Okay. Nice. Um, I'd say, like, I definitely have a few things because I've just had a lot of time to kill. Um, I should be doing more reading, but most of the stuff is, like, just stuff that I've seen or listened to. So, BoJack... Horseman. Did you finish it? I did not finish it. Oh. But I have gotten deep enough into the series that I have a really, really like profound, like mm. emotional connection to it. Which before the pandemic, I watched like the first few episodes like multiple times, like trying to get into it, and I couldn't. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. It took me a little bit, and like finally, because you guys kept recommending it to me, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna finally like just hunker down to the first season. Mm-hmm. And I got through the first, like, four seasons, and I'm on the fifth right now, and I, I just, I've been putting it off because it's really emotionally painful to watch. Yeah. Oh, the fifth season is incredibly emotionally yeah. painful. Yeah. Let's go back to BoJack. <laughs> <laughs> I, sp- I rewatched BoJack, I think, like, once or twice during the pandemic. I feel like it's it just more... a good depression show. You've had BoJack on, like, most of the time I've seen you with... Yeah, it's, if I can't this. remember to watch something, like, if I'm just baking and you're cooking in the background, I will play BoJack. Yeah. Because I need white noise. It's just, like, a thing. It mm-hmm. just... But it makes the mental health go, like, down the toilet. <laughs> yeah. That's why I can't... Because, like, I'll watch it late at night and, like, that theme song comes on I'm just, like, in my pajamas. I've been trying to lighten the mood with, like, Portlandia. That's a good... That's a good choice. I, I love Portlandia. Portlandia's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love Fred and Carrie. <laughs> Fred and Carrie are Fred good. and Carrie are pretty awesome. Um, what else? I mean, for me, art-wise, I think it has to be, like, Infinite Jest or um, R.E.M. Yeah, nice. nice. R.E.M. is the big one. I I mean, I need to listen to more of the music, but I think that that's, you know, definitely, good. Uh, definitely like a good thing to get into. R.E.M. has got some classics, for sure. They do. Yeah. Sophia? Um, it's just like art or media that we've been getting into. Yeah. Neon Genesis Evangelion, baby. <laughs> Neon Genesis Evangelion. True. Honestly, that whole show is amazing and phenomenal. Um, I would say, like, if we're going, like, I would say I've been listening to a lot of uh, stoner metal. Um, stoner metal? Yes. What is that? It's like a... Like Rage Against the Machine? No, like Electric <laughs> Wizard, Fongzilla. Like like King Gizzard? Uh, like Lizard Wizard? Or... I don't think... I don't know if they qualify as Stern or Metal. Okay. I don't... I just am not 100%. They do a lot of different things. But... Yeah, they do a lot of different things. Um, I honestly am having, again, names. Yeah. Names of bands. Is that like the kind of music that Hayden always plays in his story that people scream... 
and sometimes, it's stressful. <laughs> sometimes, but Hayden listens to a lot of just regular metal and um, what's him call it? Do you uh, scream with it when metal. listening to it? He screams with it. I can't scream as well as he can. He, Hayden can do the gutturals. Wow. Like Hayden will Hayden will just drive around and he'll be like <laughs> <laughs> Like like Metallica, I mean that's not like I don't know. It's it's metal, but like not really. Yeah. Um like even that, I I just I can't. It stresses me out. I mean, I think okay, I understand where you're coming from because if I like suddenly if I'm listening to like if I'm listening to like, I don't know, whatever, and then I get really stressed out while I'm driving then I cannot listen to, like, death metal music anymore because I'm like, oh, my God, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> like, something bad. I'm like, fuck, Your heart tends to, to beat with the beats per minute of the music. Yeah. So, so like, if, if suddenly, like, I get cut off in traffic and now I'm in a traffic fight, like, I'm just like, fuck, fuck, can't, can't listen to this shit anymore. Like, but if I'm just vibing, like, it's such, I, it's, like, really nice when you're, like, actually chilling. Mm-hmm. It's nice music to listen to. For sure. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I've been getting into like a lot of like in like soft, uh, sad girl indie rock. It's not even rock. It's just like indie, like um, like snail mail. Snail mail. Snail mail is good. Snow, snail mail songs. Um, Phoebe Bridgers, obviously. I thought you didn't like her. I do. I don't, I, you don't like her. I do like Phoebe Bridgers. I have a. We don't need I to don't. talk to you about it, Sophia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can get fucked off. Uh, uh, Blood Orange. She's not like I like really him. Indie sad girl, but I love Blood Orange. Yeah, he's good. Blood um, Orange is good. Yeah. Uh, oh, Deer Hunter. It's probably been, like, my, um... Oh, you and fucking Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter's probably been, like, my band of this, of this year. Just because, mm-hmm. um, uh, Halcyon Digest is just, like, such a fire fucking album. Love it. I love it. It's like, a Mwah. They, like, they vaguely remind me of Pine Grove. Do you like Pine Grove? Yeah. Um, I yeah, love I Pine Grove. I, I have a couple of Pine Grove songs on my, um, one of my playlists, too. Like, Aphasia. It's a good song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love aphasia. Yeah, like that's kind of like emo, even. Yeah, like uh, Pine Grove's interesting because it's like emo country, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I, I like it. It's interesting combo. how like how musicians recently have been like incorporating country into like more indie stuff. Like obviously, like oh, John Misty, I Orville think. Peck, we love you. Orville Peck, Orville Peck, very good. Um, fucking Phoebe Richards does it too. Phoebe she Richards, has some, yeah. she has some country as songs, you know. Yeah. Um, Isn't she like indie Taylor Swift? That's what I heard. No, she's not. I've also heard this. I've also heard. This. I don't like that. I don't. I listen to okay everyone. <laughs> you know okay. I I so I listened to a couple of her songs and I didn't like them. You have to like. Pay attention to the lyrical content. Yeah. I was trying to pay attention to the lyrics because everyone was like, this shit's sad boy music. And I was like, all right, make me fucking depressed, Phoebe. My personal... Cut, fucking have at it, bitch. My... And did not make me depressed. I stayed regular depressed. My personal opinion is that Taylor Swift does not have the level of songwriting that no. Phoebe Bridgers does. Well, I don't if even any... think Taylor Swift does her own songwriting. So. Well, I think... I don't know. I think she does. I mean, she's a really, she's a really rich person. Well, I... Who, who I know. I just thought she didn't. I just thought that was a fact. I think. Didn't. I think she does. Um, but it's just not that good. Yeah, frankly. Okay. I mean. I mean. Uh, okay, I mean, Taylor. Sure like, like, I don't want to throw you under the bus. Like, she's a, a lovely person. I just, it's not my thing yeah. personally. We would never. We would never try to like 
call Taylor Swift a bad person. I don't think she's a bad no, person. No, she's she's a good person. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, don't, I would never call Taylor Swift a good person. Uh-oh. I don't know Taylor Swift. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we don't need the, the, the Tay Hive coming and attacking this podcast. Is that what it is? That Also, it's definitely the Beehive. And there's you... The bay, okay, there's the Beehive. That's Beyonce. There's the K-Hive. That's Kamala Harris's crazy ass. I know. We're going to have all these fandoms coming Wait. out. And then there's the Tay like... Hive. The Tay Hive is no. Taylor Swift's fans. They're not all hives, are they? I consider them. I thought they're Swifties. No, no, no. Swifties, the hive, whatever. It's no, the no, no, same. No, no, no. We just don't want them coming for us. The fandom, there's a name for each fandom. Fine, fine. It's the Beehive because it's Beyonce. Beyonce. It's Swifties because okay. they're sw- Swifters. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we don't want them coming for us. We don't. No. Indeed. Oh, I was talking Styles. about Phoebe Bridgers. So yeah. I bought a t-shirt from her recently, mm-hmm. a few months ago. Mm-hmm. It says right here, I feel nothing. Mm-hmm. And then on the back, it has a cop car burning. And I love to wear it around my family. That's awesome. And so she is not Taylor Swift. Yeah. Her politics adjacent. are way after. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. And then lastly about the COVID times... Um, what are you doing to stay mentally healthy during the COVID times? Mentally healthy? What is that? I don't know what that means. Like, um, clear in the head, not I, sad. Clear in the head, I don't know about. Oh, what, clear? Well, Stone out of your mind, about? I do know about. I made some strong-ass edibles. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you did. Multiple times during this. Yes. But that, that doesn't make you clear in the head. You're just kind of... <laughs> That's because we're not. That's because we're not. (laughs) I don't understand what else to do with my mental health. Yeah, we're not mentally healthy right now. Mm. Um, I tried. Yeah. yeah. Again, I. We Facetime Brian sometimes. Yeah, he seems like a centering force. Yeah. Lives. So. (laughs) Yeah. A centering force in lives. He is. Um. Yeah, I mean, I just like. To take care of the mental health? Honestly, nothing, Sam. At this point, nothing. I do I do smoke pot. Okay, to be fair, though, because just, like, from an outsider, like, I, I, I'm not, you know, in Sophia's brain, so I'm not experiencing the same maybe cloudiness that she is, but mm-hmm. Sophia's been doing, like, her plant stuff. That's true, yes, um, and the baking. Yeah, and the baking. I think both okay. of those things. Baking, like, you know, not drugs. Yeah. Know, baking regular stuff. Has been, I think, helping you. I don't know if that's like necessarily contributing. I mean, like overall, I would say that. I would say that you've been more motivated, just like looking at just like, you know, how the amount you... of stuff I've baked. Yes, you've been more motivated. I'm just thinking about how broke I'm. Shit. I'm just thinking about the fact that I don't have. That's basically, I feel like a rat on a treadmill, mm-hmm. and in front of me is like housing security and like no longer having to like constantly worry about medical debt and then I just keep chasing it and it'll <laughs> never happen but every once in a while I get a lot of energy and the wheel spins really fast and then everyone thinks I'm gonna catch it but then I don't <laughs> oh, okay this is, feel good, this is the feel good podcast of the generation <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but you do have the baking and the plants. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm not saying that my life is empty, but to answer the question honestly. It's just, it's hard because everything's just been put on a standstill and like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's no end in sight. Mm-hmm. I mean, there will be an end, but we yeah. don't know what. But the, the, I've been thinking about like what happens after COVID mainly because 
I've, I've started to realize more recently that um, I am sad for things that are separate just from COVID, just separate from the pandemic. What do you mean? Even, like, <clears throat> I guess coming to terms with, like, uh, like, uh, like my self-perception has been difficult, even, even though, uh, um, like, like, I guess just like body dysmorphia, I guess is what. Like I, you're more like alone with your thoughts. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been more alone with my thoughts, but I don't think it's necessarily because of the pandemic either. I think it's also just like my, my job requires me to be on social media all the time. Uh, and fuck Twitter. Twitter fucking sucks Yeah. for your mental health. If you can avoid it, just don't use it. Yeah. Just don't fucking use it. It's actually just really bad for you. So... Um, also, I, I just, uh, you know, fucking, I, I wanted to lose weight since I was a kid and I just can't. Mm-hmm. And that's been giving me a lot of anxiety. And I've wanted to write, uh, since like regularly, uh, as like a job since mm-hmm. I was a kid and I just can't. Well, I mean, so like you are writing as a job, but just not like fiction. I want to, yeah, no, like I want to like pursue my passions and like just be a healthier person. And I, I feel like I can't do either of them. Even though I've had all the fucking time in the world, it feels mm. like that's the depressing. I mean, I think that that's part. like, I think that's like the big, <clears throat> like that is the whole thing. Like when everyone was like, "Oh, we're going into lockdown. Like this is going to be like, I'm going to be able to like change or do the things that I want to do." And it's like, no, we're in lockdown for a pandemic. Well, everyone around you is stressed out. You yourself are stressed out. You, you and the people around you are considering their survival. Mm-hmm. So no part of it is going to be like an easy growing experience. What you're really going to grow from is the experience of having to live through that pandemic and how that changes you. Right. Mm-hmm. And but true. like you yourself aren't going to be like time to like, you know, new life, new me, yeah. like 2020 lockdown. Yeah. Like, it's, that's like, not it's, like it's like the same, like, um, Lot, like fallacy that you go through when you like set a new year's resolution which i feel like i've done so many times and i've never like completed but the goal. i feel like with covid there's like a covid specific malaise that like i don't know you're just like always fatigued and like absolutely and i think yeah. that really damages the ability to do anything that's productive i mean it's the depression it's the social isolation it's all of it Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the fact that you know so many people are feeling so many different real effects in their life from this pandemic. True, but like I, I will say, like the like I think one of the few sil- silver linings to come out of it is like the fact that like relationships like have gotten stronger. At least for me, like the ones that are kind of like hanging on barely like have fallen off, which is like fine. Mm-hmm. And um, because everybody else is just kind of in the same situation, so it's nice to just like be able to I actually do feel like that's true um, I do appreciate the close uh circle yeah yeah I feel like I've gotten closer with people I'm friends with like um in different amounts but like mm-hmm. or to different degrees I guess mm-hmm. but yeah that's been nice I mean you have to be able to like manage your own ability to survive in the day-to-day but also if there's not very much like if you look at the situation as a whole you can't really try to be like it's positive because there is so much death. Yeah. <laughs> and on that, Grave of the Fireflies. Yes, yes. Let's, let's go, so, let's so we're talking about the movie, the Gra- Grave of the Fireflies, which is the 1988 Japanese animated war tragedy film, which is based on the 1967 like semi-autobiographical short story of the same name by a man named 
Akiyuki Nosaka, and um, this is a side note, uh, Nosaka also wrote a novel titled The Pornographers mm. in 1968, having an affinity for writing sexually explicit material. Mm. So he's a depressed guy who writes sexually explicit material. Interesting. Uh, a cool dude. And he was also like elected to like Japanese government at one point. So really? He, he really touched all the bases. Wow. Um, okay. So... The movie is about a teenage boy named Seita and his little sister, um, Satsuko, who are on their own, like, trying to survive the bombings occurring in Japan near the end of World War II. So, we all watched this movie recently because we hate ourselves. Yeah. So, what were your thoughts? Okay, well, I'm just gonna say it. I cried. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I think if you, wa- if, you, if you watch this and you're not, like, on the verge of tears, which I, I didn't... I didn't I wasn't. cry, but you weren't on the verge of tears. No. Oh my god, who who are you? I'm just dead inside. I mean, like, there was a point at where I was where Sam is, but now I, the only reason why Grave of the Fireflies really gets me is because I think about if my like little siblings that's were the in thing. that position, yeah. and then, then that's why I'm like I. That's why I was like bawling. I was like <laughs> not like bawling, but I was like steadily crying after. No, yeah, but I wasn't, like, sobbing. No. But I was just, like, steadily tears streaming down my face. Oh. Because I just, like, couldn't not think about it yeah. after Satsuko passes. You know at the beginning of the movie that they're dead, by the way. Like, it's... You do. You know that yeah. that Seita is dead, but you don't really know if the sister's dead. Right. I mean, the thing is, is, like, the, the, the motif of uh, the characters at their, like, most well-kept, bathed in red... That's, mm-hmm. like, the indication that this is a ghost, right? Or, like, this is, like, a um, a, 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 a vision of the afterlife. Well, I think they're not like supposed that. to be ghosts, but they're spirits. Right. The, whatever the So, Japanese in the beginning, are. they're ghosts. Yes. Right? Okay. I didn't catch that uh, at first, and mm-hmm. then it was brought to my attention. Well, when he's at the train station, that's when they're discovering him dead. After mm-hmm. That's what I thought. So, yeah. he's not a ghost at that point. He's not a ghost when he, okay. like, the actual, the like, the when he's all tattered at the train station, but the, like, the figure that's around him, like, mm. you know how him is dressed as a boy as well, is in that scene? That's his, like, his spirit presence, mm-hmm. or, I don't know, mm. his spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't make that connection until embarrassingly late, that that was him in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Like, it's a crazy um, first time. I've seen this movie several times at this point. So, oh, several? Yeah, yeah. we watched this movie a lot when we were a kid. Yeah, I first I don't know why. I first saw this movie when I was like five. <laughs> when I was like when I was like five or six, I think. Um, I I had a phys- I have a physical copy somewhere. I think actually we Sophia had multiple physical copies. Don- yeah, hmm. we, the one that I own probably got donated, but I mean I don't really care since it's available on Hulu. Um, mm-hmm. But I it it's something that I remember distinctly watching when I was younger on like the old CRT. And my dad showed me the movie. Like my dad was like, "Let's watch this movie." And I was like, "Oh, this is like a like an anime. Like cool." I had no experience with anime up to that point, but I was like, "Oh, it's like a cartoon." So this was your first so anime. I, yeah, this was my first anime. Oh. Yeah. Wow. I would say I think Grave of the Fireflies was my first anime. Or what's the other one? Um. Is it a movie? Miyazaki film? Okay. Oh. It's Totoro? a Miyazaki film. Spirited Away. Mm-hmm. Spirited Away. Yeah. That one creeps me out. It, it, I, it was either Spirited Away or um, Grave of the Fireflies that were mm-hmm. my first Miyazaki movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, like, you don't even, like, it's such it's so disconnected, I think, from the rest of that studio's 
uh, work, especially like... I don't think so at all. If you look at the history of uh, like what? Miyazaki and like the like all the World War Two history in, in like... The, yeah, disconnected in what way? I felt like it was disconnected in terms of like there's a very fantastical... Um, like way of storytelling that they approach it like with my neighbor totoro like there's oh. like an animal that's like kind of like you know um i don't i don't know like anthropomorphized or whatever and there's like mm-hmm. oh there's like, there's like obviously i'm not saying that there's like no darkness in his later work and like the studio's later work but there's i felt like less like of howl's a, moving castle has a moving castle has yeah. like very fantastical Waterman. it's mm-hmm. very fantastical movies i think this yeah. is very. This is a very grounded movie. I feel like it's most. It's primarily like Miyazaki's movies, and like I, I don't know who the other. There are like three guys that run that studio, Ghibli, and um, and the director of Grave of the Fireflies. Um, I think might maybe he makes different movies. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably that's probably what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And they had to. They had to. Uh, this is just from the IMDb trivia. They had to make My Name of Totoro a double feature with this movie so that they could screen it. Because people worried, that, I guess the studio was worried that people would not want to watch it, which apparently they didn't because they just wanted to leave after My Neighbor, to- My Neighbor Totoro happy. They didn't want to be saddened by the upcoming. Yeah. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. I remember watching Ponyo in theater when it came out. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So, I, like that, that's, like, that's, again, like, if you were to try and draw a line from, from Grave of the Fireflies to Ponyo, you'd have a bit of a, a problem. Yeah. I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. This is thematically such... though, if you know about Miyazaki's work, yes. it's not, it's not at all like, you know, like, uh, separated. Yeah. Cause yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the same themes Miyazaki carries over into his later work, but just again, he has a more like, uh, illustrious world that he creates. And mm-hmm. that was... But like, yeah, man, what a fucking amazing movie this is. It's uh, so good. This this movie is like actually like a really big part of my childhood, personally. Um, and it really like colors my my uh, interpretation of uh, World War Two, especially the the uh, the Japanese theater, the Pacific theater. Mm-hmm. Um, just like you know how America is responsible for many war crimes. But also, you know, obviously the Japanese are too, but we war-crimed the shit out of them. Yeah. America just decided, like, what, 8th or 9th, 10th, 11th, 5th genocide yeah, at well, that point? I'm sure it was many more. I'm sure it was yeah. many more. No, they literally tried to genocide so many different groups of people. Pretty much anybody they encounter. They tried yeah. to kill. They, they tried to fully... Us. No, honestly, that was in, like, a quite, a, quite a number of popular colonial books was, like, uh, um... Basically, like, uh, the goal was to, like, fully eradicate um, whatever group they were in. Right. That's not to say, like, you know, the American orthodoxy is, like, a mindless killing machine. First, they try to make you economically submissive. And then if you don't abide, then they try to kill you. So there's there's an intention. I think think that's true. Because they didn't... Historically, not what I was... Not... To what I was talking about. Well, like, even with the earliest of these genocides with Native Americans, they tried to get them to economically, like, submit first. Not really, no. You don't think so? No, there was genocide just for the purpose of genocide. That was a lot of the violence was senseless. Mm -hmm. For a while, what they did was because, like, certain, they would, like, the, like, a lot of things were just reactionary as a result of white supremacy. Like, they would just be like, well... 
you know, we know that you hold this certain thing sacred, so we're going to try to extinct all the buffaloes. There was only three bison or buffalo, I don't remember which one, but they killed all of them because they were like, they were like, oh, we know that like this particular uh, group of indigenous people really valued and really relied on the bison, so they literally just like stackpiled and killed bison. Right. I feel like I, I feel like it's not specifically economic. I feel like it's just like purely like imperialistic. Like there is land to take, we will take it. Right. Like there are people there, we will shoo them away or kill yeah, them. Yeah, it's the it's the acquisition of power that they're solely because yeah, and right. they don't care about like killing people in the process. It's not just just killing people. It's like we will take something for us and kill mm-hmm. people. Right. That's fair enough. I mean, okay, so American American genocide is largely mindless, but. We're talking about like the the Pacific Theater of War. There was an intention to, I don't know, enact revenge. I think on on the yeah. Japanese people for you know for Pearl Harbor. Um, and America abides by a um, eye for an eye, fucking you know, but like times a thousand mm-hmm. in in conducting its foreign policy. So. Uh, yeah, uh, personally, I think that uh, this movie really colors my interpretation of that whole thing. And something that's so heartbreaking is, like, when I, I mean, when I went to school at my, like, private Lutheran school, they were, like, when we were talking about the two atomic bombs in, in Japan, like, they they talked about them, like, oh, these were great, wiped them all out. It was a great time in our history. And we were like, oh, okay, cool. Interesting. And, um, and it was just... I mean, this is a private school, so they could say what they wanted, but I remember, like, my seventh grade teacher was, like, when he was talking about Pearl Harbor, he was, like, oh, then Sam and her people bombed us, and I was, like, Jesus uh, fucking Christ. Well, it's probably not the best thing. Huh. Um, yeah. But just how glorified those kinds of situations are, like, um, Jesus like, Christ. dropping the bombs and everything. Yeah. Um... But I thought that it was interesting with this movie because I was doing some research and, um, like, like when you're thinking about it, like, thematically, like, you could say that it's, like, anti-war and, and you could also interpret it as being, like, like how pride and stubbornness kind of lead to the downfall of people. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could just be, like, a loss of innocence, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, I, I guess Japanese audiences, like, understood Seita's decision to, like, not go back to the ant because they're raised to value pride and... I understood the decision not to go back to the ant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, they, like, they're raised to, like, value pride in themselves and their country and, like, the American audiences and, like, Australian audiences um, didn't understand that and they saw it as, like, nonsensical and unwise. That's interesting. Because I, I, at first, I was like, well, why didn't he just go back? And then I just assumed, like, oh, he's young, like, as a flaw in your decision-making and, like, mm-hmm. um, and it's, and that's what happens when yeah. you're, something like that is put on your shoulders at, like, what, like, 15 or whatever. Yeah. And how heartbreaking it is that he had to deal with something like that yeah i mean at a certain point it is like maybe when like at the end when Satsuko was about to pass at that point you could have made the argument that it was like okay just go to the fucking hunt she could maybe do something you know yeah um but i think and that's when you like what you said comes into play is that like this is a child being put 
to care for another child. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think one moment for me that really stood out was when after uh, Sarah gets beat up for stealing the sugar cane when Setsuko's sick and he just starts bawling like a kid and it's like and then all of a sudden you see almost like Setsuko starts to assume that role for herself she uh or she said like do you need anything like how like some or like how where does it hurt I think is what she said Mm -hmm. and like um so you almost see Setsuko start to herself adopt that role and to try to like also feed that like to try to take care of what is also a child Mm -hmm. when they're both children and Mm -hmm. they themselves are just trying to the best mimic the behavior of adults and caretakers that they can yeah for sure i it's like such a fucked up movie for that reason because it's like i feel like very realistic in that portrayal like kids taking care of other kids i think we're especially very familiar with that sort of thing to a lesser extent but like i think we understand what it's like to i'm just saying like i think it's i think there's a very i think there is like a valuable like thing to understand here which is like you know sometimes in a really shitty situation you can only rely on yourself and people that you trust the most which is why Mm -hmm. i'm like pretty understandable of, of say to like not going back to the aunt because she reacts so carelessly to them making the decision to leave. She does no no pushback from her whatsoever. She's not like, you know, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. She's just like, oh, cool. Like, that's dealt with. Like, I don't have to deal with that shit anymore. The lack of emotional and physical disregard that she already had for them, it totally makes sense for him to be like, fuck that bitch. Yeah, but it's also like, I don't know. I, I feel like you could go back to the ant and, like, reap the benefits and then, like, leave again or something like that, you know? Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, if, if you're if you're in a life or death situation, and if you don't trust a specific person, like, I mean, that granted, could kill he you. didn't know Suzuko mm-hmm. was gonna pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sutsuko he didn't. Was, no, he he tr- he was giving her the melon, and then she just died after the the first piece of melon. Oh, I thought he kind of knew. Yeah, I don't know. I I think he well, I think his in, no, because he was like, I'm gonna go cook you food, and then she just didn't move. Like, she stopped moving after that. Because he was like, I'm going to cook you food. And then he, like, gave her the melon. He was like, I'm going to leave this with you. Because he had just gotten the food with his mom's money. And she, she uh, Satsuko was really sick at this point. And so, and then he, she had made the rice balls and stuff, remember? Yeah. And she was like, yeah, I made you rice balls. And it was, like, the dirt. The rocks or the dirt, yeah. And the marbles yeah. that she was eating. Mm-hmm. Um, well, at that, that point, he knew she was going to die. I don't she think was... he knew. I think he just thought that he could give her enough food to give her better. Oh, I thought... that's what children think. Since he he noticed that she was, like, hallucinating, he was like, oh, she's at that point. Like, that's, why um... he, that's why he broke apart the melon and was like, let me start to give you just, like, directly food. Because they would have rationed that. Because at first, he was just going to give her, like, something else. But then he she was like, here's the rice balls. And he was like, oh, fuck. Mm. You know, like, you, you are no longer lucid yeah i don't know if he necessarily understood that maybe instinctually but you know he was he's really fucking young yeah i don't think he understood that he was gonna that she was gonna pass because also like i don't think that consciously he would want to be aware of that yeah i wouldn't want to think that my little sister is gonna die yeah yeah um i mean and when you're a kid you don't want to think that you're going to think that if I give them this food, they'll get all better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plus, like, he too is starving at that point. So he's probably not thinking super lucidly either. 
you know. Mm-hmm. He's been, yeah. yeah. I mean, this whole this whole thing. I mean, to, from the beginning, they've lost. They've gone through a great trauma. I mean, this the whole thing, right? Is that like you have to carry all of this trauma, and it, it, the entire time, whether you realize it or not, it's carrying how you make your decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, there are also parts of the movie though that were like that were very sweet and mm-hmm. and lighthearted. Like when they're at the beach playing, it was just I don't know. I I love the how the movie captured innocence and their bond. It made me like really sad that I don't have siblings because it just seemed very nice. Mm-hmm. Sophia said that this movie made her want to have kids. Why? I think, okay, well, this is generally something I say about Studio Ghibli movies. A, they make me want to have kids because I want to have kids and then show them the Studio Ghibli movies. And then B... Break their heart with the Studio <laughs> Ghibli movies? B, because I think the way that, like, Studio Ghibli animates children and the way that they characterize kids and the way that they build, like, the imagination of the child and all the sense of wonderment and all of that, like... It truly captures what I think is so wonderful about kids. Like, what is so truly, like, beautiful and special about children is that they are filled with so much, like, wonderment and they are filled with so much, like, imagination. And then also, like, on top of that, Miyazaki just animates his, like, kids super cute. They're just always, like, little cute oh, little yeah. kids. They're always so cute. Uh-huh. And their little outfits are so cute and you're like, you're so cute. I mean, Setsuka's <laughs> adorable in this movie. But, yeah. God. And yeah, the entire time, I'm like, Satsuko, you're so cute. And then Satsuko dies, and I'm, like, just heartbroken. I, see, like, like I said, I wasn't really paying, I mean, I was paying attention to the beginning, but I just didn't connect the dots until way late, and mm-hmm. I kind of expected her to be the one who lived. Um, really? And that he would die. That made the most sense no, they to both me. Pass. They both <laughs> they fucking just both die. die. They both die. Like it, it just ended, and I was like, I, I looked at my friend, and I was just like, "This is just like, like lost. Like they all just die, I guess." Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's yeah. not happy. It's not a happy. I mean, ending. like, it's a it's a war story. Like this is like this is the reality of war. I think it's partially based on a true story. Yeah. 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 But didn't like didn't like. The director say that he did not intend for this to be anti-war. It's not an anti-war yes, film. Yes, he did. Which like, but it, it's not but like Miyazaki had Miyazaki specifically tries to make his film anti-war. It also, okay. if he was also it's Studio Ghibli, so like I'm assuming Miyazaki as the studio head at least had some involvement in um, decision making, like so, to some degree. What's well, it's not like I don't at least creative insight. He's the he's me like you know he's like was he was he the head of the studio at that time though yes in the he was one of the people who ran the studio along with yeah. the director of this so he must have been movie, collaborating yeah he, at least he worked collaboratively but it's it's not like specifically anti-war it's just like the I think what he meant was like it's the setting that they're in like mm-hmm. it, they're not trying to manipulate you to think oh like war is bad which it is but like it's just the setting and it obviously makes it. Because he doesn't, I think because he doesn't focus on that aspect of the story that much, like it it is specifically about their relationship. Mm -hmm. And that makes it more profoundly anti-war, I think, than any other, like, like intentionally anti-war film. If Mm -hmm. it's made intentionally to be anti-war, I think you lose some of the 
meaning in it because ultimately war is like a chaotic thing. It's not something that you can really control. Um, and ultimately your most profound feelings toward it are going to be like how it affects you and your family and your ability to survive and like how your life changes, mm-hmm. you know, that's how you get the meaning out of war because war is inherently fucking horrific and chaotic and destructive. It doesn't create any meaning. It's just awful. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. Like, I, I think what he meant is just like, we, we didn't set out to like, yeah. you know, send this specific message. It's like a conglomeration of all these different things. But yeah. I think to what Alex is saying, like, you can't depict war and then expect the film to not be anti-war. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were you writing? I was just talking about how, like, how blistering the pace of the movie is. It is, it just, just go. I mean, it's only 90 minutes long, but it feels like it's only an hour. Especially the part where, like, once the, the dad is probably dead, mm-hmm. and then Setsuko dies, mm-hmm. and then he dies, it's, like, very quick. Right, right. That whole sequence is incredibly quick. Yeah. I don't know if I liked that that much, because I was like, oh, he dies, oh, she dies, oh, okay, he mm-hmm. dies, great. You know, I mean, I, I think I've just noticed this in general about older movies, but I, I went to go see Edward Scissorhands at the drive-in recently, and Ooh. it is so fast. Everything happens really quickly, and it's not, I'm not used to it. Like, hmm. um, that's, that's a movie from, like, around the same time period. It's vastly different in terms of, like, in terms of, like, uh, theme and, and just, like, it's it's not even the same medium. It's live action, right? It's Tim Burton. But I felt the same sort of way. Like everything just happens really fast in about ninety minutes, you know. And mm. nothing. There's no there's no filler. It's and that's a movie that's interesting because it's like it's not even like that much happens. Edward is just kind of like chilling with the family for the first like forty five minutes, and then when Nona Ryder's character comes in, and then. All the kind, all the the rest of that like action, like the plot actually starts. She's hot. That, she's Back pretty hot. Day. Yeah. Winona Ryder, always been hot. 100%. Always will be hot. Yeah. Like so hot. Yeah. This is a yeah. this is a Winona Ryder fan podcast now. Yeah, like Winona Ryder and Tom York get on the podcast. Absolutely. Did you know she's a, she's a klepto? Should we? What's should a, we get a cameo? What's a klepto? What? No, Winona Ryder's a kleptomaniac. Yeah. What's that? It's it's someone that um, like steals habitually. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I, I remember she got like arrested or something in yeah. the early two thousands. Yeah. yeah, for stealing a dress, just like some clothing or something. Bizarre. Yeah. One thing I think would be good to mention about this, about the movie, just to, again, I don't think we really touched on it that much, but like just the attention to detail in the animation specifically is amazing in this movie. I mm-hmm. think like there's a moment where. Um, uh, Seita gives Setsuko some fruit drops, but they're in like a little, it's not in a little container. It's in like a little like paper, like a little wrap, paper wrapping. And he pulls a, a, a fruit drop out and it sticks to the paper and it makes a little sound. And then he like has to like tug it a little bit and it makes the paper move too. And then he gives it, it's like, holy shit, this is 1988 we're talking about. All of this is hand It's very nuanced. It's extremely, it's extremely well done. And I just like want to fucking talk about how awesome that is i mean i think that's just like one thing to be about like you know i think about like just like the attention to detail and like the amount that is put into this film Mm -hmm. and the way that the film is written really just makes something that is like i don't know it's just like it's a very fulfilling piece of story yeah and like when i i don't know when i think about like the 
the children's anime movies that I've seen, like, it seems like, I don't know, it seems like those people who are making those movies have more respect for their audiences in terms of, like, they they think that they're a bit more, um, like, intelligent than people from, like, America who are making these movies, like, mm-hmm. are... That, Oh, sure. like Disney movies, for, for example. Sure. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. for, I mean, I, I was thinking a bit about how in Grave, how precocious Setsuko is. Mm-hmm. Like, she says some things that are like, whoa, that's kind of, uh-huh. I don't know if it's believable, but like, maybe it is when you have to go through those kinds of experiences. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just a general, like, um, generally, like, a lot more respect towards the audience right um she's like smart but she's she still acts like a kid which mm-hmm. is something that like even in like live action movies when you cast a kid sometimes you can just tell that they're professionally trained actors and it's like they don't talk like children you know it's scary it's a little scary they're like little adults yeah yeah they're like little fucking adults um i i recently started watching uh dark I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's, it's on mm-hmm. Netflix. It's a, it's a German miniseries. Not a miniseries. It's, it's a show. Multiple seasons. Um, but I thought it was like a better version of Stranger Things, basically. It's much darker. Mm. It's much more violent. Uh, it deals with much more like adult themes than Stranger Things does. But the the uh, actors in that show that are like younger, are they all act kind of more like like they, they're, they're actually that age. Like... Um, it's mainly teenagers that are the youngest people on the show, but even the um, the younger actors, they they act like kids. They act like they're young, mm-hmm. which is like awesome. Maybe it's just like a foreign production thing, but uh, American like America, there's some have problems with some of the American media. Um, yeah. So the only other note that I have after that is just I just wrote the word sad in big capital <laughs> letters because this movie at that that point I was just kind of uh, watching it. And being in my feelings, and it's very sad. Like mm-hmm. the the moment where I almost broke was when it's when um, uh, Seda is burying Satsuko, and uh, the music kind of swells, and you see the fireflies sort of rise up out of the ground as the fire is burning. We just watch like, the... like it's just like so many different motifs, like artistic motifs that the movie like you know includes before, mm-hmm. and it just puts them all together, and it's it's. It's fucking, it's just so sad. It's so sad. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm remembering, I mean, I don't know if this has any, I, I don't know what the fireflies necessarily like symbolically like represent, but like, um, there was a part in the middle of the movie where, um, Satsuko was asking Seita about the fireflies. She was like, why did they die so easily? And like, she died. Mm-hmm easily mm-hmm. because she like he like is cupping them in his hands mm-hmm. so that he can like no, that was them. after they like had filled their uh apartment with them mm-hmm. their yeah. little home she yeah he starts cupping them in his hands and then she tries to do the same thing and she and then she she kills it mm-hmm. and he's like oh you squished too hard mm-hmm. and it's like well there you go like that's all you need like it's such a simple little idea you put it in and it's all through character action and it's all through like a very natural way of like explaining how the world works to a child mm-hmm. and there's just like so much going on in that little interaction the whole movie is like that the yeah. whole fucking movie is like that it's yeah. so good i mean i think that there's just like i think that's what like really is to be appreciated about the movie is like 
the relationship and the little like I, I like I think there's just like the little relationship between uh Seda and Satsuko is so so cute and so beautiful mm-hmm. um it makes me want siblings or a sibling and also quite tragic mm-hmm. because Seda feels so much loss in all of that he he as a child is forced to carry so much yeah and he doesn't even get to grieve no, he, yeah, he's not able to grieve because, and initially, like, like immediately his concern has to be Satsuko. You know, like, he's not able to grieve. When his mother dies, he doesn't say anything initially because he doesn't want Satsuko to find out. Like, Satsuko doesn't find out until way later in the movie, even after seeing the Satsuko's first encounter with death, which was that body under the bamboo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the mom wrapped up in that, and uh, after she, you know, after she was in, like, the bombing was rough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, like, one of the, the, the like, most horrific images in the movie, is that, yeah. that scene specifically. Because she's, like, she looks dead. Yeah. I mean, and she's just, like, covered in blood, and that happens, like, literally 15 minutes into the movie. It's yeah. fucked up. It's yeah. so fucked up. So, like... Also, when... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just thinking about when Satsuko's crying for his, uh, like, this is also on the note of the aunt being a bitch, because the aunt comes in and yells at Satsuko while she's crying in the middle of the night because he can't get her to sleep, and, like, oh, yeah. you can see this just tired child, and I, like, I remember, like, looking at, like, Seda and thinking, like, I know that same feeling of just, like, please stop crying, child, I'm so tired, like, and, like, sleep, you know, like, sitting right next to the kid and just trying to be, like, please, just calm down. Mm-hmm. And then, like, be thinking about the fact that, like, you know, in this story, it's, like, this 15-year-old, 14-year-old boy that's just lost his parents, yeah. parent, and is going to lose another one, whether or not he realizes it or not. His dad's not there the whole movie. Mm-hmm. He, it's, it's safe to say he, he's, that parent is already gone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So... So it it really channels the vibe of the COVID times is what we're trying to say. Yeah, I think I mean the I depressing, think... harrowing vibe. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please follow the rundown on Instagram at Rundown Podcast and follow us on Facebook if your heart so desires and if you still use that platform for some reason. Um, We are releasing episodes weekly now, so next Sunday, keep your eye out. And also, the Radiohead cover that Alex was talking about earlier in the episode um, are by two men named Eric and Andrew. You can find the cover under Eric Andrew on YouTube. So until next Sunday, I am Sam Sakamoto. Peace.